Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Poetic Resurrection. Our guest today is Jasmine D'Angelo. She's a poet, an actor, and I believe you're a model too, aren't you? Mm, not professionally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're going to read us your poem today, and I'm, I read it, and I think it's beautiful. It's halves of halves. So would you like to read that so the audience can hear it and then we'll discuss it? I'd love to. Okay. Um, this is Haves of Haves. Hum, hum, where are you from? Stay out of the sun, stay out of the sun. Small feet stretch and leap from Nordic flatland to Californian heat. Hum, hum, where are you from? Strange sounds folded my tongue into halves of halves, splintered DNA wide, so I don't look how I feel inside. Hum, hum, where are you from? Where there's hygge and chocolate pastry with rum. Black licorice whiplash made syllables unsweet and my soft consonants were rounded with concrete. Hum, hum, where are you from? A deep weaving of words came loose and undone, replaced by hard R's and confused faces and all the wrong checkboxes naming all the wrong places. Hum, hum, where are you from? She gave him a daughter, but he wanted a son. Kicking and punching and dancing and screaming. Multicolored horrors printed in all my dreaming. Hum, hum, where are you from? My skin is adjacent, but cannot fully become. The flags in my cells, the spice in my blood. Many shades of soil heavy with flood. I go slipping in the mud. And my hands and feet won't plant because I am from everywhere and nowhere crossing bloodlines and floodlines and lies and lines and lies and lines pressed in the corners of my parents' eyes. The forward pitch, the needle stitch, wove countries and more countries together which bent themselves into the shape of my body, tucked cultures into the ridges of my irises browned, identity at once lost and found. And in the mixing there was erasing, and in the erasing came something new, brilliant in its namelessness. Hum, hum, what are you and who are you from? Someplace suspended between the moon and the sun, where freckles stretch footprints across the bridge of my nose, where a new color quietly grows, where many faces merge into one, and languages lay languid under my tongue. That is beautiful. I can so relate to that because thank you. you you're from so many different cultures and yeah. everybody's always asking, it's like, you know, I, I can't figure out what you are. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been answering that question since I could talk probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. So my family and I moved to Los Angeles from Copenhagen when I was four. Um, and I started acting uh, when I was like going to auditions when I was seven. And 
that was a question I've been getting asked kind of since I stepped into the acting world, getting asked by casting and directors and producers and agents and managers. And um, it just, I didn't really even realize why I felt so uncomfortable getting asked that question over and over again, really until recent years, like learning what microaggressions are and kind of like at an early age, thinking it was cool that I was so like mixed, but then that that was kind of an obstacle to people. And so I was really confused at an early age of like, where do I fit? Cause I don't fit in any of these. Like you used to have to check off back yes. in the day in like the early two thousands <laughs> um, when you still had a black headshot, black and white headshots, you had to like check off, you know, your ethnicity at the end of the, of the sign-in sheet. And I'd look at my mom and be like, I don't know what to check. Cause none of this applies to me. So how did they, uh, Cause when I got into acting, they, one of the things is like, I was told in the very beginning because things were either white or black at one point. And yep. so it, it wasn't really much for Asians or, you know, uh, Hispanics and mm-hmm. um, now we're Latinx, which I like better. And exactly. um, I was told I was too Latin looking. And then when Latin looking became really popular, I wasn't Latin looking enough. Now I'm mixed. <laughs> I can't. I can't. The rules keep changing. It's um, yeah, I, I really relate to that. I remembered when I was like 10, and I was still actually able to book work on like television shows and, and things like that. Um, but I remember being told like it's gonna be you you're not really castable into the typical American family. That's what I kept hearing. And they were like, you know, so as you get older, it'll be easier to cast you. And then what was funny is that when I got into my late teens, I auditioned for um, an episode of New Girl, which I ended up booking. And it was the first time in the breakdowns, it said ethnically ambiguous. And I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and then it was funny because now looking ambiguous in the face, I'm quoting another actor, um, his name's Avon Joja, and he actually has some really amazing um, writing on being uh, multiracial. But it was like suddenly now it's a good thing. And so for me, there was like this cognitive dissonance is like when I was young, it was an obstacle, and then now it's good. But then even now, exactly that, it's like, oh, well, you're not this enough or that enough, blah, blah, blah. And I think really we're all just trying to figure out how to do this all better, you know? It is. And that's why I like the poem. The first part of it, I have here a note. Mm-hmm. because you weren't accepted and we just covered that in the acting yeah. because it was like you know where do we put you and I think it's I think it's just the way our brains work to begin with we have to categorize things in order to understand them you, when you belong to many categories it's like then what yeah the line actually in the beginning stay out of the sun um, was something that she's not my manager anymore but at the time I was told to stay out of the sun. Cause when I go out in the sun, I would get darker really easily. And so they said, you need to stay as light skinned as possible. So, you know, that was my question because <laughs> pale or because you weren't, wouldn't be expected. Cause I put because pale, because I was told the same thing by mine, but it wasn't because they didn't want me to be dark or whatever is that I, they said I would look more unique cause my, I have freckles. So they thought oh, okay, it was yeah. unique to be Hispanic with, with freckles. So they go, no, you, you yeah. don't, you know, don't get a tan. We don't want your freckles to disappear. They actually probably show up more, <sighs> yeah. but yes, to stay out of the sun, you don't want to be 
dark. Actually, they'll tell you that if you book something because they don't want you to be one shade one day and another shade on the next episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense for continuity. Like, on a, yeah, but otherwise it's a little, yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. I really like the line, black licorice whiplash made syllables unsweet. Mm -hmm. So can you explain that? Absolutely. Of all the different races um, that I am, the culture I'm ironically most connected to is the one I look the least like. So that's my Danish culture. You know, like my Danish cousins are like blonde and blue eyed and really fair. And um, in Denmark and not just in, but like in Scandinavian countries and in Germany, like Northern Europe, like black licorice, salty black licorice is like, I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. And all my, we, we love it because it's like you grew up eating that. And when I actually came to the States, I remember give, I was five years old and I gave my friend some and she spit it out. And I was so offended. <laughs> but black licorice is like, that's where like I get a lot of, I take a lot of pride in loving black licorice. It's like the Danish part of me. And the whiplash was like coming to the States, learning to speak English in a really short period of time so that I could speak English for like kindergarten. And making syllables unsweet uh, was because I started to learn that Danish didn't sound pretty mm. and that the sounds of Danish were harsher. Like the R's in Danish, there's like a R sound and not R, like the hard R and that's that following line. Mm -hmm. um, so it's this thing of like, I was proud to be Danish, proud of like the, you know, black licorice represents that. And then it's like the whiplash of changing culture and suddenly it's not as like peachy. Ah, I like, and my soft consonants, were rounded it with concrete. Mm -hmm. That's such a great yeah. visual. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So back to like the Danish thing too. Like, um, there's a, a sound in the Danish like alphabet that I don't know is replicated anywhere else. It's called the soft D. So it's kind of almost like a TH sound, but not quite. Like if I were to say my name is Jasmine, I would say Yai Hila Chesmeet. Hilla is spelled H-E-D-D-E-R and it's called the soft D and it's why Danish is part of why it's so hard to speak is because the pronunciation is nuts. So a lot of the consonants, like, even though it can sound harsh, is a lot softer. And so it's like everything about how I spoke hardened um, down to the oh. R's and the D's. So that's like, again, it's about like the losing of the language because I actually forgot how to speak it when I was young because my parents completely cut it out when I moved to the States. Oh, really? Yep. I learned how to speak English when I was around seven. I was already in second mm -hmm. grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was born and raised in Chicago, but we always spoke with Spanish at home. So that's all I knew. Yeah. I do have where it says she gave him a daughter, but he wanted a son. Mm -hmm. Was your father in your life? He was. He was in my life. It was kind of that line came out of this joke of like, my dad really wanted a boy and I was the firstborn and I was a girl. And like, of course he was very happy about that, but I will say there's like a lot of, and like in his culture, you know, his mother was from Hungary. Um, his father was from Zanzibar and um, that heritage is like a mix between East African and Middle Eastern. Mm hmm his father was like very strict and intense. And I think there was like a lot of just culturally like misogyny and things like that. So the idea of having a boy, you know, even though this was like the nineties and things are more progressive was still kind of a bit older of like, again, like that lack of acceptance. Even well, it's, a, it's, it's a major cultural difference. 
in the Middle yeah. East, women have to fight for their rights to be equal. That's I mean, exactly not that right. we don't have that here. We have the same problem, but it's not anywhere near what it is. It's in the so Middle amplified. East. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have here multicolored horrors printed in all my dreaming. So I have had like a very complex relationship with my dreams. I had a lot of trauma in childhood and in adulthood. And so nightmares are something that I kind of currently, thankfully today, I don't deal with them that much, but like throughout my life have dealt with a lot of nightmares and things like that. And just like the sense of being like that multicolor thing back to being multiracial and that just so embedded also in my own trauma and like in my own shame that I had growing up, you know, it was really unfortunate because I was told things like, you know, that I'm also Italian and that the Italian side of me, that was like a really desirable race to be part of, but that the darker parts of me were not. And so it's again, just like shame and trauma around my own like ethnic background. And that's, what's been so I've really only found that I've been able to confront that recently. And this poem is a huge part of that. And it was like, I was really actually nervous to be this vulnerable and like share this poem. Uh But I, again, it's back to that thing we were saying like before the podcast started that if I can't take my own suffering and turn it into something positive that might be of service to or help another person, then what was it all for? You know, it's like, and two, like it's, I think because I'm so still painful and reluctant to talk about like healing from that racial shame Poetry is like a really beautiful way to, to talk about the things that are hard to talk about. And it feels safer because it's, it's veiled through, you know, metaphor and analogy and rhyme schemes and alliteration and like just all these really juicy, yummy literary tools, you oh, know. Yeah. I find poetry because it has all of that. It makes something beautiful out of something bad exactly. or something traumatic. I shouldn't say bad because sometimes I find that we experience things to make us stronger, mm-hmm. you know, and, but we look at them as bad or good. You know, there's a reason why we sometimes go through things. And I think poetry is yeah. such a great way to express what we feel in a more colorful way that someone else that might be going through it can relate and, and know they're not alone. So I think something like this is, is beautifully done. Thank you. One of the lines that I really like, the flags in my cells, the spice in my blood. Mm-hmm. It's just such a great line. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, um, I've been reading um, Dune recently because mm-hmm. you know, the movie came out and then I um, was so stunned by it. And so I was like, I need to read the book. So I started reading Dune. And of course, I keep talking about the spice over and over again. And, and I think I also just feel felt really uh, connected to it, too, because there's a lot of like Arabic and Middle Eastern references built into the culture, you know, that Frank Herbert created that is Arrakis, and that is Mm -hmm. the Fremen people in that story. And so I think like, you know, it's like things that we get influenced by as we're writing, like maybe there's an album you're listening to or whatever. But I, I kept, you know, reading the word spice again and again. And one day I was on the train and this is, I don't know if this happens to you too, but all my ideas for poetry generally happen when I'm doing something physical. Like if I'm walking around or I'm doing the dishes and I'll just like hear the first line and I have to go write it down 
or else I'm un- it's going to be gone. I think every creative person feels this way. And I heard the line, something like, it's not exactly what ended up in the poem, but it was like something about, I have different types of spice in my blood or there's spice in the soil. I heard something like that just as I was on the train and um, that kind of sparked the poem. So yeah, it's about, it's of course like influenced by Dune, but also um, the sense that like I'm so mixed and there are different flavors to my DNA. Yeah, and that's why I like that the cells and uh, the spice in the cells. <laughs> yeah. I have here, I go slipping in the mud. That's such a great analogy, I guess, so the word would be, or metaphor for being mm-hmm. multi- multicultural. Which culture do you resonate more with? Do you have one that um, you resonate with more? Or does it change or? I mean, I, I, I definitely uh, feel the most, I mean, I'm American and I was raised here and identify as an American, but there's also part of me that doesn't feel fully American because I get asked this question constantly about where I'm from. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and whenever I would travel up until I finally got my citizenship, you know, I had a green card and all that kind of stuff. And, but I would say my Danish culture the most. And, and that's because I I grew up predominantly um, with my, with my mother who is half Danish and half Italian. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was, she would like spend her summers in Italy with her dad, but she was raised in Copenhagen. My dad was also raised in Copenhagen. So it's like everyone came from elsewhere and then like met in Denmark and that's how everyone got together. So most of my family lives there when we celebrate like Christmas. um, It's like a lot of Danish traditions. um, But there's something about it that, that uh, feels very nostalgic for me. I love visiting there. I love visiting my grandma there. There's a word in the poem, the word hygge, uh, which yes. a lot of people I think know now it's become popular in the United States. It's this idea of coziness um, and comfort. And it's about, you know, I was talking to my grandma about it. Cause I was like, Oh, it's trendy now this word huga. And we were saying it's more than just like a cozy blanket and stuff like that. It's about creating a sense of warmth, like emotionally, like spending time with family, like can be huga, like candles lit can feel like huga, you know, it's, and she was saying, you know, it's because the weather is so bad over there and it's always cold. So everyone needs to make the inside as comfortable as possible. I know so, that's yeah. why I cannot live in. I'm from Chicago. It's so damn cold there. I cannot live in the winter anymore. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty brutal um, in New York right now. Like it'll say 25, but the real feel is like 10. Oh. Um <laughs> It's like the cold where like it gets into your bones, even through yes. your gloves. <laughs> I was telling, we have a mutual friend called Sheree, who was also on the podcast in the second season. And I told her I was in Chicago. I had leather gloves with cashmere lining. Yeah. And my fingers were still freezing. I said, you got to get yourself some silk gloves to wear underneath your mm-hmm. gloves. And that protects your skin. Oh, so wow. then, yeah, I was I actually didn't know that. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is way too cold. I do like the closing where it starts where freckles stretch footprints across the bridge of my nose and it ends with and languages lay languid under my tongue. That is a, a great closing I find to the poem because I like the word, uh, you know, languid because it's like weak, faint. It, it just yeah. li- it lies there no matter what. It's like you're never going to get rid of it. It's part mm-hmm. of you, but it's not as predominant as speaking English now. Exactly. Yep. I've actually been relearning 
<laughs> Danish uh, recently, especially during the lockdown. So like Duolingo and I became close friends. And it's funny because when I speak Danish, I have an accent now. And that's fine. You know, I'm, it, it, it's something that I'm working on. But it's so funny to me how because I switched languages at just the right age, my accents totally switched. Um, but there is a thing like there is this weird sense of um, I don't know if weird is the right word, but just like this sense of longing I have to belong to the culture that I was born in. And it's nuts, too, because even when I go visit Copenhagen, you know, I don't look like the people that are from there. And, and I'm not putting myself either in this kind of victim seat of like, oh, I don't look like where I'm old. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but it's just it's something that I've learned that. I don't need to have other people accept what I look like or where I'm from, or the fact that I call all my grandparents, grandma or grandpa in their respective language. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I'm starting to celebrate more and enjoy the richness of having all these languages like in my blood memory. And just the fact that it's there, it's like all these and that's kind of that line of like many faces merging into one, like all of these cultures are coming manifest through me in physical form. And that feels really amazing. And I'm excited to see how the way people look continues to evolve as time goes on, because people will just continue to be like, could you imagine if I had kids I, they would be like one eighth, one six million, <laughs> it would be out of control. They wouldn't even be a race anymore. No. Um, and then whoever you marry, if they were more like they had less cultures within them, then the kids would yeah. be more like that. Yep. Like I would say I'm Puerto Rican heritage because I was raised with a Puerto Rican culture, but I was not born and raised there. So mm -hmm. I, I don't have firsthand what it's like to actually be from there. I visit it, but um, it's not the same. Still pretty different. You're an American version of a Puerto Rican. Not that yeah. it's, that would be, that's kind of like contradictory because Puerto Ricans are Americans anyway. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but more mainland than mm -hmm. from the island. That's right. So, so tell me, because we've covered a lot of your journey and I really loved your poem. I wanted to finish by saying I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, it was really nice. You've talked a lot about your journey. Mm -hmm. When did you start writing poetry? I was 11. I was 11. I was really angry. I had a lot of feelings. My parents were getting divorced. Mm. It was like, you know, I obviously, I had a lot of anxiety at the time, but there was also this sense of like rage that I had inside me that I didn't really understand. And so writing it down was a way to channel that. And, and it's interesting because I never expressed my like anger outwardly. I never like punched the wall or anything <laughs> like that. It was like, it was kind of, instead of exploding, I felt like I was imploding. Um, so I started writing poetry when I was 11. And then I wrote heavily throughout high school. And then I started doing like, my friend would have an open mic and I would start doing some spoken word a little bit. But yeah, I've, I've been writing poetry since I was 11. And uh, it's just always been, um, it's like kind of, getting a, a hug from myself, I guess, like if I'm really upset. I, I generally think I feel inspired when I've got some kind of intense emotion happening. And that's generally a darker emotion. I, I don't know. I don't really like get super excited and go like something good happens. And I go, oh my God, I got to go write a poem about this. Yay. <laughs> like it's usually like someone broke up with me. Someone's not texting me back. There's a pandemic. What's going on? Um, yeah. You know, uh, 
I feel stuck creatively what's happening. You know, it's, um, so yeah, that, that's how, and maybe because it began from a place of turmoil, that's just kind of been what I write out of, but it always feels like I can like breathe more deeply after I, I, I not even finish a poem, but just start to write one. To me as well, I think poetry for most poets is therapy. We don't know what to do or how to write it. We can't, or we're angry with someone. We can't really go and say, you're ang- I'm angry at you because blah, 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 because you don't know. Like I wrote a poem and it was like, I was pissed off at this person. And I go, you did this, you did that, you did that. And then I go, okay, I would never publish that. <laughs> but I know. <laughs> But I wrote it back because once I got it out, I realized that it was my pain and my hurt. It was, they were callous, but I don't think their intention was to do that. So I ended up changing it and making it more inward because it was really coming from me. But it is, it's therapy because you can't really say it to them, you know? But I have written things about happiness in a more of... um, like a loving way. Like I had a poem about my mom and it was, it was a loving poem. And I talked about how she is and all this other kind of stuff. Oh, read it if you want to share it with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will definitely share it with you. You know, there are things like that. And I get, I don't know about you. Do you get poems from dreams? Oh, I wish that sounds so cool. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure things are coming through me subconsciously out of dreams. Mm -hmm. But generally, I would say poems kind of come out, you know, they come out a lot uh, when I listen to music. Um, Music is a huge, in fact, I want to say a majority or at least if not half the poems I write, I write listening to something. Oh, that's beautiful because music is poetry and how wonderful it is to motivate you to write something. Absolutely. Especially if it's like something like or instrumental I li- I love listening to soundtracks from films and things like that mm-hmm. and then there are a lot of composers I really love like there's this great guy I believe he's from Iceland his name is Olafur Arnalds he just writes really gorgeous music and you know or I'll listen to something really intense like Hans Zimmer who everybody knows from all the mm-hmm. big blockbuster movies and but yeah I think it's too because uh, when I work on things in acting, I listen to music. And when I write, I listen to music. And I just, maybe I was a musician in a past life. I don't know. But I feel so, I feel so deeply connected to music and so inspired by it. So yeah, that, and sometimes I'll also, if I, I write a lot of poems in the notes on my phone. If I'm like, you know, yeah. on the train, right? Or something like that. I got to get it out real quick. And then I'll write the date and I'll write written to and the name of the song so that when I want to go back to continue it, I can play that song again. And it'll, hopefully put me back into um, like plug me back into where I was at when the poem first kind of arrived. Oh, that's a great idea. I, I wish I would do that because sometimes something in, inspires me and then I go, what was it? You know, but I artwork inspires me. I'll look at, at someone's, you know, like a picture and I'm like, Oh my God. And it just comes. It's yeah. like all the other forms of creativity are all meshed together and they influence us. Yeah. You know, so beautiful. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. And that just shows how much we need art because I don't, you know, in schools, what was the first thing to go art and music and (laughs) art and music is what fills our soul. And you can't get rid of art and music. 
I think poetry survived because it was part of literature. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know so, what's interesting you uh -huh. just made me realize too is, um, oh, that's such a great point because it was part of literature. I was in the doctor's office the other day and, you know, it's just like a normal doctor's office. Everything looks very sterile. It's all these machines and things. And I looked on the wall and there was a photograph um, of like these benches in Central Park. And it was like this black and white photograph. It was um, Central Park in wintertime. And there was all this snow on the benches and in the trees. And I was thinking to myself, that's interesting. Like I'm in a medical facility and they feel the need, like like even a medical facility isn't escaping art in any kind of form. You know, it's like, and I was like, that's so interesting. And actually on the trains, cause I spend most of my time on the train, um, <laughs> there's poetry in, in, in the subway cars, uh, there is. like that's printed. Yeah. That like, you know, sometimes they put ads up and then other times there's, um, uh, poems and it's usually paired with like an image or something. And it's really beautiful how all these little bits of like, we need art. It's like the lifeblood of everything. And it sneaks into all these little corners, even in things that don't seem naturally poetic. It, somehow they like come through. They do. I uh, picked up one of the books, some magazines, poultry magazine, and the entire middle section of this one issue was just pictures. And I'm like looking at it and it would have maybe a word on the side, but it was all the picture was the story. It was a poem. And I'm like, well, oh, that's wow. unique. I was like, you know, I guess they, they really meshed the difference on there. But it only had yeah. like one name or something. And it was the entire middle spread was pictures in a poetry magazine. So that was wow. really interesting. So is there anything that you would like to tell the audience more about you or any messages um, to them? Yeah, I, I do have a message. I know probably most people listening right now, not everyone is creative, even if you are not, and I'll say you to the people listening are not maybe in a creative profession, but I know that you have something, whether it's photography or painting or drawing or writing poetry or playing music or knitting or stitching or anything like that. And I, I want this to be your sign to pick that thing back up. If you have abandoned it recently, that's my message is keep going back to your creativity, even though it's painful. Um, because it's going to enrich your life and it's going to make all the other areas of your life, like your maybe not super creative career is going to start to blossom because you're being creative privately. That's just kind of the biggest thing I have to share. I had done The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron a couple of times and I redid it this last time through. So if you're struggling, pick up that book. I just feel really like we're all so deeply creative and that's why we love art is because we're all artists on the inside. And I think it's just, it's such a, um, when you get connected to, or I get connected to that part of myself, I get really, really happy and fulfilled in a really fundamental way. And when I run away from it, I start to be in more pain. So that's my message to people listening is like, if you're in pain around things right now, emotionally pick up that thing you used to like to do when you were little and make it a practice again, because you deserve to have that in your life. And I totally agree with that. I, people say they don't know what the purpose is, but as a child, you knew exactly what your purpose was because you did it. Exactly. You know, you yep. played, you wrote. I wrote poetry when I was a little kid. I thought it was going to be, you know, so prolific with roses are red and violets are blue, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so, but I, I've always loved writing and I, and even if you're afraid to do poetry or you live with people that you think might judge you or you feel shameful, you don't have to show it to them. Exactly. You know, you can hide it. I used to throw it in a drawer and never show it to anybody. When you're ready, you could release it. That's right. And, and finding the safe people in your life to share it with. Exactly. And I think a good gauge of that is whenever um, something good happens to you, who are the friends that celebrate you? And who are the friends that give you weird vibes? Don't share it with the weird vibes. Yes. If you're picking up on something, listen to your instinct. There's, there, you're picking up on something. I think it's important to have safe people to share things with so that you don't stamp out your dream like in its infancy when it's barely even learned how to walk yet, you know? Um, True. How can people reach you? They can reach me on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I also have a website that I relaunched just a couple months ago. Um, It's J-A-S-D-I-A-N-G-E-L-O. So jazzdangelo.com. I post poems on there. Uh, I post little like short stories and things like that. And yeah, so you can reach me there or uh, on Instagram. I'm not that savvy with everything else social media related. Like I'm, I'm not on Twitter. Um, maybe I should be. I don't know how to do TikTok. I, I'm still young, but I'm, my, I'm like calling myself an elder millennial at this point because I'm, <laughs> I'm not as up to speed as I used to be. My little brother is, um, he's eight years younger than me. And it's like a whole different universe in terms of, social media knowledge, but on Instagram or through my website, you can also drop me a message. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, this was really nice. And I wanted to, I was thinking about when to have you on the show because I've known you from Sheree's classes. From um, our class. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.